How's it going, everyone? Welcome in and welcome back to another episode of On Air with Aaron. There's not really a whole lot of news for gaming this week that I'm going to be talking about. Um, there's one little piece that I found that I thought was really interesting about Sony filing a patent for AI game playing in the future, which I thought was really interesting, so I'll be talking about that, but that's really the only piece of news that I'll be talking about. I'm mostly going to dedicate this episode to a rant or rave segment on Wonder Egg Priority. I said two weeks ago that I wanted to have this last week, but unfortunately I didn't finish it and I wanted to talk about the Oxenfree and uh, Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals announcement that was made because that had happened more recently and I wasn't able to finish Wonder Egg Priority in time. So I'm dedicating this whole episode mostly to be talking about that show because uh, I really did like it. There's of course going to be spoilers, um, but I'll be talking about that in detail after I talk about the uh, the gaming news. But before we start with either of those, I just wanted to say a few things about myself. I hit 268 subs on YouTube as of last night, which is great. I had a really good stream last night for Smash Sunday. We were averaging probably around like eight live viewers or so, and we had a full lobby pretty much the entire time, which was great. I think Sundays have been the best days for, uh, for the Smash viewer battles. I do it at 4 p.m. as opposed to the 6 p.m. on Saturday. So I might try bumping up my time on Saturday to 4 p.m. as well. Because I do know that a lot of my viewers, uh, surprisingly, are from the East Coast or Midwest. Where the time zones are 2 to 3 hours ahead. Meaning that Smash Saturdays start at 9 p.m. Which my audience can be a little younger at times. So it's not ideal to have that. So I might try bumping up to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So at least it starts at about 7. And if it goes for 3 hours, then it ends at about 10. And even if they have to get off at 9, that's about when it would start normally. So I'm thinking about that. Um, but I hit... I'm, I'm pretty much at 8,600 followers. I, I wrote in my notes that I was at 8,570. But that was last night, and I got quite a few followers. And I think I'm at like... 8594 or something so i'm pretty much at 8600 which is awesome gonna be doing that 10,000 follower special at some point uh, and i will be starting up a discord server for all my content so i can send out a notification when i post a tiktok youtube video podcast episode all of that stuff so my content can be in one place and you can get notified so be on the lookout for when I post that. The link will probably be in a bio, whether it's on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, whichever platform you're listening to. Um, but with that being said, let's get into the news this week. So Sony files a patent on AI game playing feature. I almost said future. So this is kind of interesting though apparently sony patents a lot of random things that i saw um but supposedly this ai feature will observe gameplay of a specific gameplay profile and it'll learn a player's habits and can perform certain tasks even while the player is away so it didn't really dive into specifics because this was i think at one point it was a rumor and then it was talked about so it might not even happen um, but I think it was, it was at least confirmed or seen that they were filing for a patent, but not much was released about this. So I don't know if this is going to be, you know, if you turn off your game, it'll happen. If you leave your PS5 or PS4 on rest mode, 
Um, or if you have to actually have the game open and just have the controller sitting down and turn on the AI mode. It's not really discussed all that much. Um, but this does include playing the game itself. So in a lot of games, they do have AI sort of assisted in light terms sometimes, um, like assisted tools. You can turn them on under accessibility options and whatnot. But I remember when I was playing uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, if you messed up or died on a puzzle too many times, then after a certain threshold, they would send you a notification or have Cal speak a line that says, oh, maybe I should try breaking this rock or something that would help you. And of course, the more you failed, then the more it would uh, it would sort of give you a hint as to what you were supposed to do. But this feature is aimed mostly at a specified sort of guidebook, if you will, towards any given player on a profile. So for example, let's say on your PS5, you have a John profile and then you have a Mary profile. Then let's say that Mary is usually pretty well off with not needing any hints or help from a game, whereas John needs a lot of help. Uh, then their AI profiles are going to act and respond very differently based off of the games they play and how easy they can complete a certain level on a game. So this does look very interesting. I don't know exactly the reasoning for it because you would think, oh, accessibility, which yes, it is going to help with accessibility, but that's not what it's targeted for. Uh, from the language in the article, it seems more like the accessibility features are a byproduct of this. So I don't know where they're going to go with this, but honestly, I think this would be great for accessibility because games do have, at least nowadays, a lot of accessibility options kind of at the forefront of, um, of game development. They want to make sure their games are accessible or as accessible as they can be, especially AAA games such as like The Last of Us or other story-driven games where you want to have the players either progress as quick as they can so they can observe the story, not lose any of that spark from the narrative. Um, but overall, just helping players not to get stuck and get overly frustrated with the game. That's been a huge push, especially in the past few years with gaming. And I think it's great because not everyone has the full time and dedication to sit down and grind out a combat system for 14 hours. You know, people have full time jobs. They have kids. They have friends, family all of that stuff, and of course, some people just do not possess the accessibility options that other players might have. So this does sort of level out the playing field, and from my understanding, it is a toggleable feature, meaning that you can turn off the AI, or you can have it kept on. Um, and since it's going to be specified to your specific skill level, it won't seem as nagging as, oh, you lose once, and then it's going to tell you how to do it. Or, you know, to a different extent, it'll just tell you how to do it without even giving you the option to figure it out yourself. Because I know I get really stubborn when it comes to games. Uh, like, when I was playing Jedi Fallen Order, if I was stuck on a puzzle, I'd say, no, I don't want someone to tell me how to do it. I don't want a hint. I don't want this. I don't want that. I want to figure it out on my, on my own. I had to look up some things for Jedi Fallen Order because I just didn't understand what I was looking at. Um, but regardless... I think this is an interesting feature. 
Some people were obviously complaining about it on social media, but who doesn't complain on social media about, you know, oh, this this will teach people to not get good at a game. But as I said, there's a difference between getting good at a game and then having a game not accessible to a certain degree. Or if you don't have the time to dedicate for a game, then this would be a little bit easier. Because I know right now I'm playing Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and I love that game. It's really fun. The combat system, once you understand it and learn it, it's a lot of fun. But at the same token, if you don't understand the combat system, you literally cannot progress past like chapter four because the combat does get pretty difficult and there is a fairly big spike towards the end of chapters. Um, there's like, oh yeah, you're getting through the chapter fairly well, but then they pretty much just throw like a, they, they just throw like a skill level at you and say, yeah, you need to beat this before you can go onto the next chapter. And that, that happened to me for the like past two or three chapters. There's just like a roadblock that I had to kind of grind for. And for some people, they don't have the time to get there. So it would be nice to have some AI assisted tips implemented into the games. So the big question that I was wondering is how is this going to work for multiplayer games, if at all? Because it can be understandable. Oh, this is how it's going to play out for, you know, The Last of Us. Yeah, that makes sense. You can implement that into the game and you're not affecting another player's experience. But with a game like Smash Bros, I know it's not Sony, but just for example, uh, for Call of Duty, for Titanfall, for all of these games, there is a multiplayer aspect to them where you're playing against another human. So how would that interact against them? The only thing that I could think is it just like reads your responses. And if you remember back to, it happens in a lot of sport games where you have to like grind a season or something, uh, but they have like simulated events where it's like it takes your teams or like your character's overall skill and how you've used, utilized them. And then it just sort of progresses naturally and uses an average of how you would progress through it. And it determines who would win based off of your skill and your past play experience. I feel that's how it would be. So, yes, you wouldn't be able to have a pop-off game because you're not popping off. You're not doing good. Um, you're just kind of doing average. So, I think this is... If it was to be implemented in a multiplayer game, you wouldn't really see yourself leading the lobby or you wouldn't see yourself... Um, like doing anything insane though. I don't know how this would work for multiplayer. This, this thing's kind of perplexing me to be completely honest. Um, but I think if anything, it would be like those simulated events, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really weird thinking about it for multiplayer. Regardless, I think for single player, this would be great. And for multiplayer, it would either not be available yet, or it would, uh, just straight up not even be possible, but we're going to have to see. I think this is a really interesting point of discussion, you know, the the idea of AI in gaming, because AI has been in gaming for a long time. I mean, we have, a, you know, we have computer program units or whatever that stands for that have existed in Smash Brothers for pretty much forever. Um, you know, where that's an AI behavior that reacts to inputs, um, and that, that's been around forever. We have AI in Call of Duty multiplayer games where, they just kind of react normally and you can set them to have like high reaction or you can have them set to low reaction uh, where it's like they're either really good or they're really bad. So that could be a possibility. Um, but it's, exi it's existed forever, but it's never really been used to play as a person 
to another person. You know what I mean? It's like it's one thing to to have an AI play against the AI inside of a game, but an AI playing against a human um, from a human profile standpoint is kind of interesting. But I think it could play out very cool, I guess you could say. I don't know if I'd use it. Maybe on something where it's like I'm not really understanding what I'm supposed to do. But I saw a lot of people making jokes saying, oh, this will be perfect for gaming journalists because they can just watch the game and then write about it instead of playing it. <laughs> um, no disrespect to the gaming journalists, of course, but I think, that's a, I think that's a pretty funny take. But what do you all think? Do you think that AI is going to be playing even more of a role inside of games in the future? I think it definitely could be. To this extent, not sure, but I do think there's going to be a lot more AI push for, for games in the future. So as I said, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about gaming-related uh, this week. It is an interesting point of conversation just because the the idea of games constantly evolving with the times uh, is just a huge point of conversation. I was watching a trailer for a game. It was... um. Oh, gosh. I think it's a PlayStation exclusive. Um, I don't remember what it was called. It was, like, this vast open world, but you play as, like, these robotic animal sort of things. Or, like, there's these animals, and you, like, create these robotic figures to walk around in. I don't remember what it was called. Um, but it looked really good. The animations looked good and whatnot. And there are a lot of people complaining. It's like, oh, don't the animations kind of look stiff? Do you think this looks kind of choppy? And I said, this game is absolutely beautiful. And then people are complaining about, like, one small little aspect but that's just kind of the push that we have now for the future it's like everything has to look amazing because that's sort of the standard that we've set so it's going to be it's going to be curious to see how uh how everything's going to play out in uh in the future of this all but regardless that'll end this segment on news for the gaming industry and now let's transition over to anime where we are going to be doing a rant or rave on wonder egg priority so of course this goes without saying there are going to be spoilers for wonder egg priority uh at least the anime i haven't read the manga or light novel or whatever it's adapted from um but regardless i, I will be spoiling things and discussing possible things that we can see in the future uh so there's your warning now let's talk about it so Wonder Egg Priority was a new anime for the winter season. I believe the first episode aired sometime in like mid-January, somewhere around there, and ended around March. It was a 12-episode anime with, I believe, one recap episode. So in reality, it was 11 main episodes. So I heard a lot of people talking about it. Uh, one of my Discord channels um, that I have, they have like a, a dedicated anime section, and I saw a couple people bringing up um, Wonder Egg Priority. And I had seen like a few TikToks on it and I said, huh, I'll have to watch that at some point. But I sort of delayed it just because I, I kind of forgot and I was uh, I was catching up with, with Attack on Titan, Jujutsu Kaisen, all those. Um, but I ended up watching it either towards the end of March or beginning of April or, or somewhere around there. And I was, I fell in love with it. I started watching it in dub just because I was like, ah, screw it, you know, I'll watch it and you know, have it sometimes on in the background. Uh, but the dub was only available for the first, I think, four episodes, I want to say, like three or four episodes. And then I had to watch the rest in sub, which was totally fine. I don't mind. Uh, I just had to pay attention to it. Um, regardless, I, I finished it and I loved it. I, I think it was a very interesting storyline in the way that they went about it with the animation and everything. Which, by the way, this anime has some of the best fight scenes animated that I've seen. 
which sounds ridiculous to say, but the animation is on point with this show. It's very crisp, very good, and it just has a lot of cool animation techniques that just help play into sort of the surrealism of uh, the theme, really, of the anime, and I loved it. Uh, I didn't really know what to expect going into it. I just heard that, oh, it kind of dealt with, like, mental health issues and, and sensitive topics, but I didn't really know how deep it was going to go into any of those or what exactly it was going to talk about. Um, but regardless, it did talk about a lot of sensitive issues. So uh, a fair warning, I will give a trigger warning for uh, for uh, there's going to be mentions of, uh, of sexual assault um, and uh, sort of suicidal tendencies and thoughts. Uh, just an overall trigger warning, just just in case you wanted to click off or uh, just be prepared for what I will talk about. So, the overall plot. Um, it deals with the main character, Ai Oto, um, a girl with heterochromia, which I, I actually saw someone talking about this on a forum post. Um, Ai Oto, if you, uh, you know, Oto Ai, apparently that's uh, supposed to be a play on Odd Ai. Which, you know, heterochromia, one eye is a different color than the other. So, I don't know if that's 100% canon or if that was just kind of like a funny observation. But I think I think that's a really neat little, uh, a, a neat little notion, if you will. Um, and she struggles with the death of her best and only friend. Uh, she finds out that there's a way to bring her friend possibly back from the dead. And she goes down into this, like, separate little world sort of thing. Uh, where she can purchase these eggs, called Wonder Eggs, uh, crack them open, and basically protect the person that's inside, uh, defeating their demon, quote-unquote, and setting them free. And if you do a certain amount of those, then there is a chance that you will be able to bring your deceased friend back. So, of course, she misses her friend dearly. She loved her. It was like her only friend. She helped her get out of some dark times. So she's, of course, going to bring her back and find out more about what happened to her. So along the way, she meets up with uh, with three other girls, um, and they do the same thing. They're all buying Wonder Eggs to try to bring back somebody that they lost who they cared for. So that's sort of like the the brief overview of the plot. That's kind of what we're getting into and what's developed in like the first episode or two. Um, so the three other friends that uh, Oto meets are Nehru Aonuma, Rika Kawaii, and Momo Sawaki. So all of these characters have different sort of worldviews and have sort of different motivations and personalities, of course. They, they all feel like their own unique character. So as I had mentioned, every character has their own personal demon. Now, I'm not, not the main characters, even though, yeah, they do. Uh, inside the dream world, really, where the girls have to go and fight uh, the, the demons, uh, they're related to a specific trauma that one of the girls trapped inside of the wonder eggs has dealt with. So one of the ones was uh, sort of this, like was a coach that turned into this crazy monster. Uh, and the whole thing with that is the girl trapped inside the wonder egg was a, it was a gymnast and she was pushed to her limits to a crazy amount by her, uh, by her coach, you know, to like be the best, do all this stuff, uh, and so I had to go and defeat the demon to set the girl free, really. Uh, and then there's a couple different ones. There are, uh, there's, there's a lot of teacher sort of motifs because, you know, it's young girls in school. Uh, young kids tend to have sort of differing thoughts with their teachers. And 
sort of things. But some of them get get rather serious with uh, like relationship issues and uh, like pedophilia. It, it, it gets it gets kind of sensitive with that. But a lot of them have to defeat sort of this like crazy demon form of a teacher. Um, one of the ones is like a, a crazy evangelical sort of. It's not. It's not. It's. It, I don't know what specific like religion or teaching it's supposed to be, but it's like, you know, setting yourself free and not caring for earthly tethers. Basically, quoting Zahir in a way. Um, but there, there's a lot of different demons that they uh, they have to fight, and of course, a lot of them do the the you know symbolic and poetic way of um, sort of playing into some trauma that the uh, the main girls have. So, before I go further, I kind of want to just rate the story overall. Like, talk about the uh, story before I describe each character and before I, uh, like, describe more specific things about them. So, the story clearly is not the main point of this series. Like, that, that much is obvious. It's kind of... The, the story, obviously, it sort of rationalizes a lot of the things that happen in the world. But the main point of the series is to talk about, um, sort of... Uh, societal pressures put on young girls. It's supposed to talk about um, a lot of issues that are raised with adults and um, sort of their relationships, not necessarily like intimate relationships, but just overall relationships with children uh, and basically the impact that all of that stuff in the society has on the young children and specifically the young girls. So it's interesting how the story sort of combines this like social commentary with the personal uh story commentary because initially it was kind of just stated oh yeah these are you're all saving young girls inside the wonder eggs that's also an important point uh, all of the people that they all the children that they sort of save from the wonder eggs are all young girls there are no boys and all of the uh the main characters who fight off their demons are all girls <clears throat> so at first it's kind of like oh this is just meant to be a uh, sort of like a commentary for you know girls health mental health and stuff in society but then of course it's it's explained later on in the story that the reason why young girls are targeted has to do with uh with a girl named frill who i'm going to talk about her more later because she deserves her own little segment um but it, it deals with a girl named frill who was an ai who is basically targeting uh, vulnerable young girls into committing suicide because yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I'll talk about it more in, in her own segment because bringing it up is kind of just going to beg more questions than answers at all. But um, yeah, basically that's, that's the story that they sort of combine together and it gets rather serious with that and it develops rather well. So I think the story does a good job, of, of combining those two and making it seem a bit more seamless than kind of just like, oh, this is a story about mental health. There's actually like a plot behind it that uh, can get a little confusing to follow at times, but um, overall is very uh, is very artistic and, and does do a lot for the uh, for the issue. So let's describe each character first. I'm going to describe them and then, and then talk more about like their place inside of the, the story and in the world. So the first character that we're introduced to, the main character, is Ioto. So she was teased a lot uh, due to her heterochromia, as I had mentioned, and her lack of social skills. But then she met a girl named Koito Nagase, 
who became her best friend and helped uh, I open up um, and basically become a bit more open to uh, to friendships and, you know, trying out new things and being a, a bit more outside of the house, literally. Um, but Koito eventually committed suicide and I doesn't really know why. Uh, she thinks it has to do something with Mr. Sawaki, who is um, their main teacher and is also the uncle of Momo Sawaki, who is the fourth girl who was introduced into the friend group, um, and that plays a little bit into it. Uh, so I has this internal struggle because her uh, her mother wishes to get into an intimate relationship with Mr. Sawaki, but of course I doesn't really know how to react to this. Because, of course, she believes that Mr. Sawaki has some, like, important notion, importance into the reason as to why Koito committed suicide. But she doesn't know that yet, and she's too afraid to ask, and she doesn't really know how to bring it up. And also, they play into something that's kind of weird, I guess. Though, though I, I guess it kind of makes sense with their age. Uh, they play into this whole thing where it's like, oh... I might have, like, a big crush on Mr. Sawaki, and it kind of, it feels like it's kind of just thrown in there. It doesn't really feel super developed, because, you know, at first it, it describes, oh, yeah, you know, she's she's kind of afraid of him because she doesn't really know, like, his relationship with them, but then it kind of tries to throw in this, like, oh, you're in love with him, and it's kind of odd, but I'll discuss that a little bit, uh, a little bit later. Um... Later on in the story, and I, I say later on, like episode two, um, we're introduced to Nehru Aonuma, and she's the second girl that I sort of meets. She's the first girl, really, that uh, that she meets, but she's the second addition to the uh, friend group that'll be um, that'll be established later on. And Nehru is kind of a cold, quiet, and reserved girl who who has sort of a I don't care sort of personality like she just shrugs off friendships she shrugs off conversations um but I befriends her and sort of nags her and and gets her a little bit more comfortable and then I and Nehru end up developing a friendship and they're sort of the they're the first friends of this uh this uh four girl tag team that they end up creating later on um Nehru is a literal test tube baby, like not not even as a meme. Like she was created by this organization called Plati, who uh, basically created Nehru. Uh, Nehru is actually their president. Also, they created Nehru to be like this intelligent sort of uh, bookworm genius sort of thing, uh, and they wanted her to be free from parental interference and uh, relationship issues, just like relationship, not necessarily like boyfriend girlfriend sort of thing. Um, so Nehru doesn't have any parents. Uh, she, she is just kind of on her own. She had a friend inside of Plati called, uh, I don't remember her first name, but it was a uh, Kotobuki, um, who I'll probably talk about a little bit later. Uh, but she also had a sister and Nehru's main struggle and, and main goal is bringing back her sister. And she just buys a bunch of wonder eggs like she just cranks them out puts them in like a briefcase and just constantly goes to work to try to bring her sister back her sister attacked her she stabbed her literally in the back um and she shows her scars later on uh and then evidently committed suicide as well um so Nehru's sort of backstory seems a bit like 
shallow, like, oh, I'm saving my sister. But then it develops much, much more. And Nehru is personally my favorite character. I really liked her story, her development, because uh, her development throughout the series is, is really good. And it's very, very evident. Like, you see her in episode two, and then you see her in, like, episode 11. And she's, I don't want to say a completely different character, but she's way, way more open. She's way more friendly and way more approachable as the series goes on, which is great. She has great development. Um... She later learns friendship, of course, uh, and she even alters her appearance a bit. Um, she changes her hairstyle. She smiles a bit more, a bit more talkative, a bit more caring, um, which is great. Uh, next, we have Rika Kawaii, who is a brash personality that doesn't really mind saying exactly what's on her mind. Uh, she was a former pop idol, uh, like a, you know, like a, a tween idol sort of thing. Uh, and she was pushed by her mother, of course, to continue. And her mother is... A rather interesting person. She's a drunk. She drinks all the time, uh, which has a huge impact on on Rika. And she doesn't know her father. In fact, when uh, when Rika was, I believe it was when she was going to reach middle school or complete middle school, one of them, I think it was when she got into middle school, uh, the mother was going to finally reveal to Rika who her father was. So Rika was really excited and then asked her, and then the mother proceeds to hand her five pictures and said... Yeah, one of these guys could be your father. It's all five different guys. And she's like, heck, your father might not even be in any of these pictures. I don't really remember who it was. So this, of course, has like a huge impact on Rika with her mental health and her, her stability because she believes that a lot of her pain and suffering will go away if she ends up meeting her father and uh, seeing him, knowing who he is. And kind of even living with him and being with him. She thinks a lot of it will go away. So this leads her to having a lot of these uh, these suicidal and self-harm thoughts that um, really play into, uh, into her character and her development later on once she decides that she's going to stop. She's going to stop cutting. She's going to stop having these thoughts. She's going to sort of fall back on her friends and understand that they are going to be there for her and really love her and, and sort of take her in. And she has an interesting relationship with her mother because she hates her mother. She has a lot of disdain towards her. But as the series develops, she kind of has like a, I don't want to say, I don't want to say a growth in relationship, but kind of where it's like she absolutely despised her mother. But now she's kind of like, she wants to help her mother, you know, because she understands her mother has her own problems, her own struggles, and she wants to help her out. There, there was a line that was thrown in like, when, when the mother uh, said, like, oh, you know, are you going to abandon me in the future or whatnot? Um, and then <laughs> Rika's like, yeah, I'm going to leave you in the future, but not right now. So it kind of shows it's like, I'm not going to forgive everything that you did to me in my life. But for now, I'm not going to make your life terrible, I guess, is the way to the way to interpret it. And then the last character is Momo Sawaki who is a young girl that's often mistaken, and, and I mean often as in, like, every interaction that she has with someone, uh, except I. They all think that she is a very handsome boy, like, like a very a very pretty boy, really, uh, and most girls, like, fall for, her, fall for her, thinking that she's a guy. So she's the niece to Mr. Sawaki, as I brought up, um, and that kind of plays into uh, her and I's relationship uh, stuff in the future, um, but she struggles with becoming more feminism or more feminism with becoming more feminine um, and expressing herself. So uh, she dresses more androgynous 
because of this. Uh, she she dresses sort of like a uh, a preppy schoolboy, if if you could call it that. Um, but it, you know, if you definitely look, it's like it, it's more of androgynous clothing. Um, but she is very much mistaken as a boy a lot. Uh, she has a lot of internal struggle, sh- struggles. Jeez, I can't talk today. Um, there's a lot of internal struggles when it comes to uh, gender assumption and gender crisis uh, because she obviously dresses more androgynous. Everyone says she's a boy and she's a girl, but she doesn't know how to express that. And she's really she's really going through it. Um, Momo later becomes more comfortable with herself and proudly announces during one of her fights that she is a girl. You know, she uh, she she accepts what uh, who she is and you know who she wants to be and proudly proclaims that she is a girl and there's one episode that it it really it's like a sequence where it looks like she's out on a date with someone and she's she's wearing a dress she's wearing she has painted nails uh she's dressed way more feminine and it looks like it's a nice date and then she wakes up and it's like oh that's so sad it was a dream but it turns out that she went on a date with a guy and when they met up she felt more confident and dressed up like a girl, but the guy thought that she was a guy, which is why he asked her out. So this, of course, just it pains her. You know, she, she obviously tries to shrug it off like, oh, it's okay, but it, it's clear that it hurt her. Um, so that's sort of the description of each of these characters. Now, let's talk about the symbolism uh, with the characters and their weapons. So a brief little overview. When they're in the dream world, they need to fight off these demons uh, that are presented with each character. And uh, they do so by using a a weapon, really, of choice. Now, of course, the weapons vary between each character, and they're all symbolic in their meaning. So I has a pen. She has, like, one of those, like, multiple color-changing pens sort of things. Um, And it sort of turns into more like a blunt object that she can use to fight. Uh, but that one's really interesting because I, I feel like it symbolizes the reference of uh, the pen is mightier than the sword. Uh, that that sort of um, that mo- motif that's obviously meant to be like you know writing and and uh, like taking down the notes and, and learning the the facts and the information is mightier than physical strength. Uh, and I think it, it sort of plays into that with sort of eyes growth and, and creativity and, and her colorfulness, really. Um, you know, she's a very, very colorful person, both in her new personality and uh, and, and, and in an appearance. Um, Rika's weapon is, is a little bit, uh, is a little bit more, is a little bit darker, in my opinion. Uh, it's like a scissor razor blade sort of thing, where, uh, you know, there's, there's two separate blades that she holds, uh, and it's clear that they're like, each one part of a scissor, but they also have the same design of like a razor blade, which of course is, is supposed to symbolize uh, her using razor blades during her, uh, her, during her self harm. But she sort of uses, uses that as a weapon to fight off these demons. And also the scissors, I mean, it could be a stretch, but I feel like it could be uh, symbolized as cutting, you know, cutting ties with, uh, with certain people, uh, possibly her mother, like cutting people off. And, and just the idea of cutting, Nehru's weapon, I personally think is my favorite um, with its uh, design. That could be biased because Nehru is my favorite character. But her weapon is just a gun. <laughs> it's, of course, it's not like a, it's not like a pistol. It's it's a it's it's a gun that she can like transform into like a blaster, different forms, shoot fast, shoot slow, powerful, all that stuff. Um, but I think hers is really symbolic because 
it can represent how, you know, when you use a gun, most of the time you shoot it at a distance. You keep things at a distance. And I think that plays into Nehru's personality where she keeps pretty much everyone at a distance where, you know, she wants to take away her struggles and sort of distance herself from them. She doesn't want to be up close and personal. She likes to uh, uh, stay at a safe distance away. I think that's uh, probably the best way to uh, to phrase it. And, of course, the gun can take many forms as to how she's feeling and how she can take down the enemies, but most of the time it's, it's in the form of, like, a long-range rifle. And the last weapon is Momo's. Momo's is the typical, like, jousting lance sort of thing, which is supposed to symbolize, in my eyes, the uh, the motif of the knight in shining armor, where uh, all these girls who Momo saves believe that she is a boy who has come to save them and, uh, and, and protect them like a knight in shining armor would. Uh, this, also, this also sort of plays into um, how she's perceived as sort of like a, a preppy, pretty boy sort of thing, which, of course, you know, preppy, royalty, that, that sort of a... Uh, that sort of play into it. Um, so the weapons, of course, have their own specific symbolism inside the universe, and I think that's written very, very well. Uh, I don't want to say it's anything, you know, absolutely over-the-top, nutso-crazy, requires 14 years of research, but I think it's a nice little touch and shows that there is a lot of thought put behind the, uh, a lot of thought put behind the, uh, the weapons and their, their significance. And uh, lastly, with the symbolism... I'm going to talk about their dream worlds. So all of the girls have their own specific dream worlds. Um, and a lot of them have obvious symbolism. And then some of them have rather subtle or more specific symbolism. So starting off, we have I and her dream world where she takes down the demons are, is a school. Uh, you know, it's, it's her school. And this is where a lot of her trauma takes place. You know, it's, it's a thought that's always in her mind with uh, with the school. Um, so it's where a lot of her her indifference and stuff started. And that's also where um, where Koito committed suicide. That's what we're led to believe. Um, so she was bullied a lot at her school. So it's, it's a thought that's always on her mind. It is kind of manifested into this dream world. Um, Rika's is an open field. Now, this one seems kind of interesting because the other characters have one that's, like, specifically tailored to where uh, their their loved one really uh, committed suicide, or it's something that's very important to them. But Rika's is, like, an open, grassy, flowery field that's a cliff, really, towards, uh, towards like, the ocean. So this one, I believe, is meant to symbolize, uh, like, a place where she desires to go. Because, as I had mentioned, her life is really terrible. She's, she's been really depressed. And I think at the end of the day, she kind of just wants to be at peace and relaxed and away from the hustle and bustle and just sort of depressive state that she's been raised in. So I feel that her world is supposed to symbolize that and is supposed to be, instead of a place where she is that's always on her mind, it's a place where she desires to go. It's a place that she always thinks about, like, like sort of a paradise, if you will. And that's, of course, where, uh, where her statue of, a, of, of her lost loved one is. Nehru's is a bridge. It's like sort of a, a city bridge that you can see lights and fireworks and such in the background. Uh, and this one's a bit more obvious. That's where her, her sister committed suicide. Um, and it's a thought that's always on her mind. Uh, and it also helps out with um, her weapon design because she can, she can hide on top. She can snipe the enemies, shoot them from a distance, and be able to to get away in any direction 
really or really forwards and backwards uh which helps her uh, take down the enemies and then the last one is momos momos is a train station this one is we don't really know much about it it's where haruka is who was the uh the girl who fell in love with um with momo and uh evidently committed suicide later on uh but I feel that this train station is possibly meant to represent the amount of people who come and go into Momo's life, especially young girls who have sort of a romantic interest in Momo because they think that she is a boy. Um, I feel that's supposed to symbolize because after the people who Momo saves at the train station, after she defeats their demons or whatnot, there's always that scene of them standing next to a train and then the girl trying to kiss Momo and then disappearing as a train passes by. So I feel it's supposed to symbolize sort of the amount of people that that enter and then exit the li- exit her life once they say, oh, that's a, that's a cute, handsome boy. I'm going to try to get involved with them. Then they find out that Momo's a girl and then they leave. I feel it's supposed to symbolize and, uh, and represent that. So that is the overall sort of... Um, description and uh, analysis of the plot and like characters um, and a lot of the symbolism inside of wonder egg priority now let's talk about the ending of the show (laughs) so as i had said when i was watching the show i was like oh this is this is really good it's probably going to end with um you know i rescuing oto sorry (laughs) Well, actually, you know what? I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong in that aspect because I's last wonder egg that she finds is herself from a parallel world. Uh, she saves herself. It gets kind of funky and kind of weird, but she saves herself because it's an alternate world where, um, where, uh, you know, she basically never grew out of her shell. Her and Koito were kind of manipulated by Mr. Sawaki and both ended up committing suicide together. Uh, and they have to fight off this weird head of Mr. Sawaki. It's it's kind of kind of weird, but uh, it, it's a really cool motive. But I, I misspoke, but I technically wasn't wrong. Um, but it, I thought the whole series was going to end with um, I saving Koito. You know, it's like, oh, she's going to defeat enough Wonder Eggs and whatnot, and then she's going to have Koito, and then fanfare music is going to play, and they're going to hug, and then the series is going to end. But I was horribly mistaken. <laughs> um it turns out there's a lot more to it. So when we're introduced to the, uh, like the, the, like the wonder egg purchase station, there are these two mannequins named Aka and Uraka. I think it's, it's spelled like Uraka. Um, I couldn't help but think of Uraka from my hero academia every time they said Uraka. Uh, but regardless, those two are brothers. Um, and they're sort of there to tell the girls what to do, like, go, go buy the eggs, and they sort of offer guidance, um, and they even give them these, these, like, little animals that are so cute, um, that, like, each character has, like, their own specific one, they're, like, these little animals that help them take down, uh, the Sino evils, which are, like, these little demons that, like, are inside of the dream world that they have to take out, they're just, like, they're basically like the equivalent of slimes really in an RPG game where it's like, yeah, there, there's a lot of them, but they die in like one hit. So you don't need to fear them. Just take them out. Uh, but these, uh, these animals like help sort of take them out. Um, but they're, they're sort of like these, these voices of wisdom. They, they seem like they're the leaders and creators of the wonder eggs and the, the, the dream worlds and such. Um, but it turns out they have a lot more importance than was let on to be. So, <laughs> 
<sighs> Where do I even start? Oh my gosh. So basically, the whole reason I brought this up as like why it's all young girls committing suicide, there's a reason behind this inside of the story. Now, the reason behind this is less of a societal sort of commentary and more of a specific character that's doing it. So Akka and Uraka are brothers, and they were humans at one point. Like, they were flesh-and-blood humans. And they were really, really smart, and they were actually the founders of Plati. Um, and they were developing AI sort of technology and a lot of that stuff. So they ended up creating an AI human, really, uh, named Frill. Now, Frill was created as a, I believe, 14-year-old girl, and uh, it took her a while, but she ended up developing uh, sort of human connections, you know. Uh, Akka was like her father, Uraka was like her uncle, that that sort of relationship, and they, they played out like a beautiful, cute sort of father-daughter-ish relationship. Um you know they would they would like go swimming they would do things like they would they would have food together they would just spend time together like a, like a normal healthy relationship would but unfortunately something went awry with the ai and frill sort of started developing a lot of territorial love with akka so akka ended up meeting this woman named azusa and they ended up falling in love together and having a child. This, of course, triggered something inside of Frill. It was like a territorial, like, primitive aspect, really, where it's like, who is this woman, and why is she with the person that I love? And so this led her to kind of going crazy, and then uh, Akka sort of had this, like, disdain, weird, like, not apathetic, but less involved relationship with Frill, and then Frill basically just went crazy and ended up killing, uh, ended up killing, um, Azusa. And this, of course, set Akka off because Akka saw it and he just, he beat Frill, really. Um, he, like, threw her down a flight of stairs. Uh, he, like, hit her, kicked her a bunch and then threw her into, like, this little... I don't, I don't know. It was a, it was in a basement, but like he threw in this little sort of like cubby, I guess. I don't really know how to describe it. It was like, a, it was like a in ground safe really. And he just like tossed her in there. He didn't lock it or anything, but he, he tossed it in there or tossed her in there really. Um, it should never be seen again. And of course, Uraka noticed this and was like, Hey, yo, we should probably do something about this. But like Akka wouldn't listen. Um, Akka and Asusa had a daughter named Himara, or Himari, or Himari, however you want to pronounce it, um, and started, like, developing a real father-daughter relationship, because they are father and daughter by blood. Um, they started developing this relationship, uh, which, you know, Frill knew about, but wasn't present really to see it. So, uh, Himari ended up committing suicide as well. So, unfortunately, this set Uraka off, and then Uraka went down to the basement to go and see her, like, what is going on, and he found out that there are a bunch of wires and computers and stuff set up in the basement. Uh, they're, they're, they're all set up in the basement, 
and Frill is like controlling them in some sort of way, which leads them to discover that um, Frill is responsible and directly behind the deaths of these young girls. So Akka and Uraka decide to use their technology that they use to create Frill and use them in the Wonder Eggs. Now, this is sort of a crazy, crazy backstory that, that is just... It, they introduced that in one episode. Like, all that stuff in one episode that made you go, wait, what? <laughs> it sort of just is, is thrown into there. And then, of course, that, that was introduced in episode, I believe it was 11. Like, at the end of episode 11. Uh, and then episode 12 opens up, and we're thinking, oh, this is going to be the conclusion. They're going to, like, fight Frill and take him down and save her. No. <laughs> um, Frill created these, like these beings it really looks like in toy story remember when sid had created that like doll that was a that had like the the the, the body of like a, a girl and then the head of like a pterodactyl that's what a lot of them look like that's what one of them looks like they got like these butterfly heads and these flower heads they're really they're really creepy uh but she had created them and they they go and they attack the other uh, four girls and then the series kind of just ends with I seeing uh, the fourth one and it just kind of ends right there. So I was really confused by this. So I looked up, I said, uh, is there going to be a season two? Is there going to be a movie? What's going on? So apparently there's going to be a wonder egg priority special episode airing on June 29th. So this is going to answer a lot of the questions that we have about basically the ending of the series. I don't know if this is just going to be like an episode 13 where it's 20 minutes long or if it's going to be like an hour or so. I really hope it's going to be like an hour or hour and a half, something like that. I really hope just because I really don't feel they can do a satisfying conclusion in only 20 minutes. I really don't think they can. Uh, maybe in like 45 if, if they uh, don't have an opening or a closing or anything. Um, but it seems there's a little bit more that they uh, they need to do with this. Uh, regardless, Frill is a very mysterious and interesting character. Uh, they did this whole thing that's, it's kind of a meme, uh, where, like, I don't know if it meant that she did kill someone or that she's going to, but, like, Frill would make this noise where she would do, like, a pop, like, with her mouth, she would, like, she would do that, and that was basically played into it, and they, they, they did a weird thing before they introduced what it actually meant, they just, like, zoomed into her mouth, and she would just go, it was very uncomfortable, but then obviously it made sense later on. Um, but she has like this mystery and kind of horror behind her that we don't really know about because she has these four kind of like servants, I guess you could call them, that she created that are really strong and broke uh, broke Rika's uh, weapon that we don't really know how to how to defeat these people. Probably taking down Frill, but but we don't really know. You know, nothing's led us to to really understand like like what what is going to happen. Um, but talking about Frill's presence, as I had mentioned, it felt very odd introducing it so much later on, but they also did hint that there was something kind of weird going on when, uh, Akka and Uraka were talking on the screen to, um, I forget her name, but it's, uh, one of the women who work at, uh, Plati, who, um, who obviously was close to Nehru. It was like an assistant or, or like a secretary or something. Um, but they were talking to her because clearly there was something going on, which we obviously learned later on that, uh, they were workers who created the, like, 
the thing really the the wonder egg and the ai and frill and all that good stuff um so there's a lot of mystery a lot of mystery behind it uh what do i think is gonna happen i i, I don't really know i feel that it's kind of obvious that they're gonna take out frill or they're gonna save frill but they're gonna take out all of those like weird you know conglomerate doll animal flower things i don't even know what to call them um they're gonna obviously like take them out and then probably save frill there's gonna be like some conversation between uh the akas and frill i don't know if they're gonna die who knows but I is obviously going to have a, a very big role in this. Now, I think it's kind of interesting. Obviously, I don't think it's intentional just because, I mean, I is a, a Japanese name to, to my understanding. Um, but I think it's really interesting how her name is spelled AI. And then, of course, the artificial intelligence frill is AI. I think that's kind of interesting. Um, a little, little observation. Because when they first talked about the AI, I thought they were going to say, oh, yeah, um, uh, I like Ioto, you are you are the AI. I thought they were going to go that route, but uh, was I mistaken? <laughs> but there's a lot. There's a lot that uh, that can be discussed. And like I said, I haven't read the manga nor light novel or whatever the heck it is. Um, I don't plan on it just because I can wait two months. Really, like it, that doesn't bother me. It's in almost exactly two months. Um, that doesn't bother me, and I think it's going to be really good to be completely honest like i think the ending can do it justice i feel kind of i feel kind of disappointed that it didn't end right then and there because i feel like it could have been really good but i also hope that this ending episode is going to be like an hour or so long because i i really liked it um regardless the characters i feel are are all written very well like they all have their own sort of motivations and they all develop, you know, I was very kind of shy and reserved. Um, you know, she, she didn't really have any desire to make friends until she met Koito and then wanted to save her and then developed a closer friendship and opened way more up and became way more colorful. Um, you know, she very much developed throughout the series with the stuff that she was dealt with. Um, Nehru, of course, has great development. Rika breaking out of her um, sort of depressive state and finding a little bit more beauty in life. Momo being more comfortable with herself and uh, and her identity. Um, I think they all they did that really well. And then, of course, the animation, as I brought up, it's beautifully animated. Like, I feel that this show wouldn't have had the impact or appeal to a lot of people if it didn't have the animation that it did. Because the fight scenes were really good, which is crazy to think for like a, not a drama, I don't know, I don't ex exactly know what you would call this genre, um, but it's, I guess, sci-fi, a little bit of like sci-fi sort of thing, but I feel like there's more of like a drama side to it, um, but it was really good, it had like a, it had like a trigger feel, you know what I mean, like a studio trigger feel, um, but it was really good. Um, I, I highly enjoyed it and I do recommend it. Uh, if, if you're okay with watching things with these sensitive topics, I know I talked about suicide a lot in this one. Um, but that, that is like the main theme of the show. So it kind of, it, a, a review of this can't be possible without mentioning those topics. Um, but of course there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of other themes in the show that are pretty, uh, that are pretty prevalent. Um, 
but overall help play out to uh, discuss the overall story that they're trying to tell. And I do think that at least comparing it to the, the average everyday society does have a lot of themes in it that are present and that do need to be brought to light and discussed. But regardless, I think Wonder Egg Priority is a great watch. Though I do recommend if you are going to watch it, either steal yourself for not being able to know the conclusion until June or wait until June comes around and then watch it. That way you only have like a week or so to really wait until the uh, the final episode airs. I'm pretty sure the final episode will be available on streaming services. Uh, it, it's currently being dubbed right now on Funimation and I think the dub is really good. Um, I think the characters are presented very well. Uh, the acting's great. Uh, the sub, of course, is good as well. Um, it's, it's really just personal preference, but the dub is currently being dubbed. I'm pretty sure they're only on like episode five or maybe six or something like that. So it's about halfway done, um, but the sub is all out. So, um, you know, do, do with that what you will. Uh, probably by the time that the dub is finished, it'll be close. It'll be fairly close to uh, by the time the, uh, the, the special episode is going to air. It'll probably end around June-ish, like beginning of June. The dub will be fully completed. Um, but regardless, do put it on your watch list if you're thinking about watching something with a little bit more serious tone, with a lot of comedic moments and lovable characters. Uh, with that being said, that is going to end the rant or rave on Wonder Egg Priority. Uh, a lot of good symbolism, a lot of good talking points. Really love the show. Uh, can't wait for the special episode. Um, and yeah. So that's going to be all for this episode of On Air with Aaron. Thank you all for stopping by. Uh, next week, I'm not too sure exactly what I'm going to be talking about because there are a couple other anime that I'm watching. I just started To Your Eternity, and I also started Tokyo Revengers, which I'm absolutely going to be doing a rant or rave on both of those once it finishes, especially at Tokyo Revengers because I'm, I'm a big fan of that one. Uh, it's, it's very, very entertaining so far and I'm loving the characters. Um, and then to your eternity is beautiful, very interesting storytelling. Uh, but I, I do think both of those are, are good watches if you want to, uh, but that's going to end this episode. Thank you all for tuning in. Go check me out on TikTok at it's Argon games. Help me reach that 10,000 follower goal. And I'll be doing a, a special stream over on my YouTube channel at Argon games once that happens and i'd love to see you all there and definitely comment somewhere and, and uh tell me you found me from the podcast if you feel so inclined to do so I'd, I'd love to uh love to hear where you guys found me from but that's going to be all for this episode thank you all for stopping by have a great rest of your day